Welcome to The Partnership Economy. This podcast explores the power of partnerships through candid conversations with industry leaders. Join our hosts, Dave Yovano, CEO, and Todd Crawford, co-founder of Impact.com, as they unpack the future of partnerships as a lever for scale and an opportunity to put the consumer first. Welcome back to the Partnership Economy podcast. This is your host, Dave Ivano, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Brad Hoos, CEO of the OutLoud Group. OutLoud is an influencer marketing agency, and they've worked with hundreds of popular brands, including Grubhub, Wix, and Athletic Greens. Brad began his career as an engineering consultant, but discovered his passion for helping companies develop new lines of business and revenue along the way. Today, he's immersed in the creator economy and the ways in which influencer marketing can spur real business growth. In this episode of The Partnership Economy, we discuss how content creators have evolved from TV ads and programmatic, and we break down what influencer marketing really means. Brad also walks us through the nitty-gritty of what to consider when running an influencer marketing campaign, the most important common mistakes he sees businesses make, and how to keep up with the rising trends in the industry related to user-generated content and platforms like TikTok. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Partnership Economy Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Bradley Hoos. He's the CEO of the Out Loud Group. Brad, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Dave. I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you. It's always fun to talk partnerships. All right. To start us off, could you maybe tell the audience a little bit about yourself first? We're going to get into the Out Loud Group. We'll get into working with influencers because that is the focus of the Out Loud Group. But Really want to know a little bit more about like you, how you got to where you are as CEO of a successful influencer marketing agency. Yeah, for sure. So what I like to say is I'm a recovering engineer and a recovering management consultant. So I think both of those uh, those are formative pieces of, of my background. So yeah, I, I worked in engineering as an engineering consultant for for a while. So I went to business school and so got into management consulting. And really got a chance to cut my teeth there. I took advantage of none of the entrepreneurial opportunities presented to me in undergrad or in business school and stumbled upon it in the consulting world and found out I wasn't terrible at it. And I really enjoyed it. And from there, I said, hmm, maybe I should do something like this on my own. Wound up joining um, joining this VC as a founder and owner of, uh, of, uh, of this business called Grand Circus. This is a coding boot camp program of sorts. And I just started continuing to talk with people. And one of the folks I was started connecting with was a guy by the name of Joel Beckett. And so Joel Beckett is the founder of OutLoud. And when we connected... It was just Joel. We started to get together for breakfast once a month. He would say I was consulting for him. I would say it was just a super interesting conversation. And after you know about four months of this, I, I came to Joel and I said, "Hey, I think I think I could really help you with this. I can, I've got this background as a consultant and did a bunch of stuff with marketing there, but I have more of an analytical skills as a as a you know engineer." And he said, "Whoa! Like I never thought you'd be interested, but I don't really care about." This halftime, you know, three-month thing you're proposing, Brad. Let's talk about what this would look like afterwards. Now it's eight years later, and the business has grown. We're about 70 people, and Joel's still involved in the business, but I'm I'm our CEO, and it's it's been a you know a crazy wild uh, crazy wild ride throughout throughout these uh, these last eight years. Now a lot of people are familiar with paid search, affiliate marketing, display advertising. What would you say is unique about working with influencers, uh, especially as a way to acquire customers or to 
to acquire revenue as a business. Influencers are unique in that they're really decentralized media companies. Like so, so many of us are are used to working with these big media companies and trying to trying to work with them to push out brands' messages. And influencers are at scale now, where they really are like huge media companies, especially if you're working with the, with the higher end. But yet, on the other side of that coin, is it's still really word of mouth marketing. I mean, their their messages are raw. Their their audience doesn't expect them to be very polished. They're, you know, every creator sort of has their own culture within their audience. And I'll use my, my favorite analogy. It's kind of like the way I behave with my nuclear family, like my brothers and sister, actually I don't have any brothers, but my sisters and, and my parents is very different than the way I interact with my wife's family, right? And so if you are able to, as you're working with creator, let the creators engage with their family they want to and not try to parachute in from like the way the brand typically engages, right? That's the analogy of like my wife's nuclear family versus mine. Then you're going to have great success. But when brands kind of come parachute in and say, hey, this is the this is the pentameter to use, the words, the language, it doesn't work very well. But what's cool about influencer is they kind of have this culture and this acceptance already in place, but yet they're at scale. So it's kind of this nice confluence for for brands across the scale and yet the relatability uh, and the approachability to the, the audience yeah i agree with that and i think you know if you look at it they are the modern day publisher right uh, i'm over 50 now i don't know how old you are brad but a lot of us remember the old popular magazines road and track better homes and garden food and wine right the traditional publishers of content like trends and lifestyle and fashion and things like that. Think of uh, Condé Nast Vogue, for example. Uh, you know, especially with the rise of the platforms, tell me if you agree, like YouTube and, you know, of course, uh, TikTok and, and Instagram. Um, we've seen like a democratization of, of content that's being published, right? So they are, in a lot of ways, publishers today. Most people don't think of them that way, right? They're publishing content. It's part lifestyle, let's say, you know, just a, a day in the life, you know, things that they're interested in. But more and more, they're publishing content um, uh, about products, like, you know, their experience with different brands and products that they care about. At Impact.com, we work with a brand, uh, Lenovo, and you'll have these um, unboxers on YouTube that, you know, with the white gloves, carefully cutting open the box, you know, putting this new gaming laptop on the workbench, you know, comparing it, hooking it up to all these different diagnostic tests and comparing it to other laptops, it's like like really deep reviews and recommendations are now coming from this new form of publisher, if you will. I, I think it's interesting, Dave, the way things have evolved. If you look back, you know, this is going back a ways, 20, 30 years, we saw the biggest medium that consumers went to was TV. And before cable, there was network TV, right? So the ABCs, the CBS, the NBCs of the world. And if people wanted to consume content and find someone they really looked up to, they had a handful of choices, call it five different choices. And people started to kind of pick their, their, pick their, uh, pick their tribe a little bit, right? Uh, I, like, I like this show. I like this person. They started to resonate you know, a little bit more. And it became part of our culture and our vernacular. And then mainstream you know, um, network TV evolved into cable TV. And now you've got, let's just call it 50 channels. And suddenly 
the opportunities for you to find who you connect with, what you're interested in, MTV, USA, ESPN, whatever the case may be, it's a little bit easier to kind of find your connection. And, and where I think it's gotten really interesting is kind of what you're referring to the last seven years is now, I mean, there's so many different niche creators out there where it's it's really a beautiful thing in, in a world where you know it can be tough to find your identity. I think influencers are like the modern celebrity, but something that people can actually connect to, right? And there's so many different choices and we can choose to be part of different communities. So I think we've established, you know, essentially the the viewpoint of the consumer, right? There access to a lot more information out there about everything, uh, but especially products now. Let's get into how brands are engaging with these these creators, these influencers to, you know, kind of cut through cut through the noise, be relevant. Um, you know, let's talk about the business of, of of brands working with with creators and influencers. How how do brands go about that? How do they find influencers? How do influencers find brands? And how do they, you know, create a partnership uh, in a way that is good for business? How how should I find the right creators to partner with? Is the number one question that we get asked from a brand perspective. And, and I think it's interesting because I think it's a really important question, but I think there's more important questions, starting with, as a brand, what are my goals and objectives and what does good look like? And I think a lot of brands are unclear about what they're trying to do. And they might've heard about influencer on a podcast, say, or from you know at a, at a conference, and they become convinced quickly that they wanna do influencer but they might not know what, why they're trying to do it. And, and I think once you have that crystallization of the goals and the objectives, Influencer is a full funnel program. And so in my opinion, it should be measured full funnel, but regardless of what the priorities are, and then starting to identify who are the right creators to work with. I think what you're touching on, you didn't use the word, but what you're touching on is the authenticity, I think, that that they bring to... Uh, the brand essentially, right? If you get somebody who really believes in this product and they're talking about their real experience with it, what they really think about it, in my experience, their loyalty is to their audience more than it is to the brand, right? So whatever they're saying about the brand, there is a high degree of authenticity typically. And then you also have the long form of information, right? That That is not advertising. Advertising is, you know, a 30 second commercial or it's a picture, you know, in a magazine, let's say, but if you're talking about uh, commercial content that a creator or an influencer has the ability to create, you know, to, to maybe use the model that you're talking about, use the ADA model, awareness, interest, decision, action. I think you know, we talk about like the surround sound or the, the concert effect of, of all of marketing, uh, including advertising. I'm seeing your TV ads or your more traditional forms of advertising being very good at the awareness piece, the, 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 the upper funnel. But when things get down into like decision mode in that consumer journey, the long form of commerce content that these influencers and creators are putting out there and the authenticity matched with that, I think heavily influences the decision step. Marketers really need to be aware of that. Like you can't be spending all this money on the awareness piece and then let the decision go to a competitor because you haven't really tapped this you know sort of channel to kind of get these powerful influencers, creators uh, on board to kind of give some credibility, you know, to, to, to your advertising. Could you maybe share an example of, uh, of a partnership that you think is worth just kind of highlighting on how this actually comes together? 
Sure, sure. So one of our clients is Athletic Greens. It's a daily nutritional supplement that you take and you, you mix mix with water. It's it's become pretty big. Most people probably are familiar with, with Athletic Greens listening. And when we were talking about the, the right creators to use and the approach, we'd recommended a gentleman by the name of Cletus McFarland. His real name is actually Garrett Mitchell, but his uh, YouTube channel is Cletus McFarland. They hadn't done anything in the car segment. And we said, listen, Garrett, that's his real name again, same person, um, is someone that his his audience knows that he goes a million miles an hour and he needs energy, but he tries to do everything the right way. He's a human, so he doesn't always do things the, the right way. And so they decided to take a chance on, you know, Cletus slash Garrett. It, it was wildly effective, you know, you know for, for obvious reasons, can't like share the numbers, but you can look and see that in 2022, Athletic Greens has run with Cletus McFarlane nine times, right? So that gives you some idea of, of success. And it really worked because he just talked about it in his own way. You know, he's like, you know, uh, intentionally a, a good old boy and showed himself taking it, you know, and just said, yeah, they, they say that it should be between eight and 12 ounces of water, but I just put it to the top of this R on the water bottle, right? And so the power in something like that is, He's sharing it in his own way. He's kind of like, you know, undermining like any sort of formality or brand speak as part of that. But he's still then talking about the product and then what it did for his uh, for for his energy level. Because it was like, yeah, in the afternoons, I, I feel great. Like, I don't need coffee. Like, and, and this is all good for you. Right? There's no there's no caffeine. And so it was real, real powerful. And, and it you know, turned out to, to be a new area for athletic greens that they hadn't really thought of. In, in the past is being able to kind of work in this automotive and, and outdoors segment. And, and so that was something that was really fun and, and Athletic Greens definitely deserves credit for kind of letting a creator go and, and do his thing. Clearly that's different than what you might see in a piece of branded content that's going to be more polished with different types of uh, talking points, I guess. So that's a, that's a good example of some success that you've had. How about on the flip side, anything that you've learned in a partnership, for example, that maybe didn't go so well? Well, th- this is a fun one. This is a fun one where uh, an- another brand that I think deserves credit in, in, by and large for letting creators do whatever the heck they want is Dollar Shave Club. And they've had some tremendous success with that by letting creators kind of uh, do, do, do whatever comes to, to mind. For For one creator who has a bit of a uh, untamed beard. If, you, if you've seen a picture of me, I might be able to relate to that. Um, but he's, he's got an untamed beard and he's not the most groomed man in the world. Uh, in, in, in his own words, as Nicholas Lloyd, his, his YouTube channel is Lindy Beige. When we talked about doing this with Lindy Beige in, in terms of having a partnership with Dollar Shave Club, he said, well, I can do it, but I'm going to have to be sarcastic about it. And the message is going to have to be, use this product or you'll look like me, right? And, and so he actually did, in my opinion, a masterful job of this and, you know, poked fun of it, but still talked about the, the, the qualities of the product and then kept reiterating. It's like, well, yeah, like if, if you don't use Dollar Shave, which is a great brand to do this, you're going to wind up looking like me. Uh, so it was, a, it was a big swing, right? I think it was, a, it, it was a big creative swing, right? It wasn't a huge dollar swing. And, and so ultimately took that swing and, and, and it didn't work. Right. Um, I think the, I thought for sure it was going to, and, and I, shockingly I was, I was wrong, but because ultimately I think 
he wasn't using the, the the product. And while he could definitively relate to it and have fun with it and talk to its value proposition, I mean, it, it, ultimately he wasn't using the, the the product and translated into fantastic comments in the video that went very far and wide, but it, it didn't translate in terms of being able to be viable. Yeah. If you're enjoying this podcast and want to learn how partnerships can help your business, visit impact.com, the world's leading partnership management platform. So we've talked a little bit uh, about some pro tips here so far, and maybe just a a more tactical question about just measurement in general, because again, we're comparing uh, a couple of things that we've talked about with you know, more traditional advertising or, or um, more online advertising where things can be measured. Well, actually, it's getting more difficult now with the loss of IDFA and Google's uh, cookie, et cetera. But, you know, could you maybe you know, share a little bit about how you do measure the success uh, or lack thereof in working with creators? Uh, one of the things that we've done, uh, if people are interested, they can take a look on our website. It's it's up there at outloudgroup.com. But we did a, a large um, clickstream data study to understand how many people were actually clicking a link in a video versus how many people were just going to the brand's website or going to a search engine to get to the to the brand's website. For purchases, the TLDR of it was for everyone measurable purchase that was seen coming in through a vanity URL or a coupon was actually four total purchases that were that were happening. So we were under you know significantly underestimating um, the number of conversions that were happening if we were only looking at that uh, the data that came through an attributable link. So I think from a measurement perspective, it's really important to look at things from awareness, consideration, conversion, and you really want efficiency and awareness, right? So what's the what's your um, cost for cost per view consideration? What's your cost per session on your website? And then you can certainly look at metrics like how long are people staying on the website? Uh, how many how many pages are they visiting? And then conversion, I think, is pretty straightforward in terms of being able to see the you know, value of the order. But then retention's huge too. We've found with a number of our brand partners that the value of a customer through influencer is higher than it is through other channels because they stay on longer, right? They, they're retained, they order more, uh, and that's been sort of a consistent theme. So when measuring, it's just really important to look at all the pieces of the funnel. Another thing our audience always loves to hear about are just trends that are that are happening right now. Top two trends that you can think of that you're noticing that that uh, are top of mind for you that you feel like sharing. Yeah, I, I think one of the big trends that I see is the convergence of user generated content or, or UGC, paid social ads, and influencer marketing. And and so what I mean by that is. You know, historically, we'd think of a static Instagram post, or maybe it's a YouTube video, but we'd think of creators pushing something out to their to their audience, and and that's that's influencer marketing, right? But then you can also have these creators develop content or do photographs for you that would live in your emails or on your brand's website, right? Sort of classic UGC, and then paid social, like hey, we're gonna you know push something out from the brand, so we might hire in a model or an actor or something. And, and now what we've seen is influencers can be fantastic for, for all of that. And so brands need to be careful 
to try to consolidate things, to not have three different groups, UGC, influencer marketing, and paid social reaching out to creators, but to really kind of have that all be in one one house. So again, going back to the idea of like decentralized media companies for which is what influencers are you want to try to be smart about those points of contact and it's great now when you can have a creator advocate for your brand on their own organic audience you can have some of the photography and video be used for whatever you want their brand and now the, the power of influencer paid social uh, you might might know it as you know uh, creator listing or you, you know content can be pushed out from a creator's audience but then you can run traditional paid social campaigns behind it where you can target to different audiences and interest groups other trends um, I know we had talked in the past about just the the battle across the platforms you know specifically video any trends that you want to uh, maybe highlight there yeah, I think I think we're we're still seeing a massive, you know, battle royale for short uh, short form video. And there there's been some recent moves, right? So YouTube now has a separate shorts uh and and videos tab as opposed to having them all in one, still being rolled out, uh, might be rolled out by the time you're you're listening to this across all creators. We're still seeing Instagram direct people away from stories and towards reels. And we're seeing TikTok continue to mature as, as a platform and trying to figure out more ways to help creators monetize on the platform. Because in the long run, the winner of this will be which platform is most attractive to creators. And, and right now, that's where YouTube has a huge advantage over the other platforms, particularly over TikTok, because they're able to put ads that are pre-roll and mid-roll inside a, a piece of video versus TikTok because the, the content is so short is like interstitial. So it's between pieces of content. So it's more confusing in terms of how those uh, advertising dollars should be allocated. So for now, we're seeing a lot of creators trying to go from TikTok to YouTube because there's more stable, consistent, uh, profitable monetization opportunities. But that can change quick. And we're, we're definitely tuned into that. I think what's clear as a trend is that our, our attention span is decreasing. What's unclear is who will be the winner from a short form video perspective. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. You, you had talked about, you know, the winner is going to be you know, the platform that um, is best for creators, but then I think creators go where the consumers are, right? Right now, TikTok is, you know, continuing to grow pretty fast. The The trend that, that uh, I think we're both seeing is how the platforms are inserting themselves between the creators and their audience, right? It used to be about, you know, getting subscribers, getting people to follow you. And you know, that was pretty much the only thing that showed up in your feed. And now with Instagram pushing the reels and you know TikTok was kind of built on that more of the algorithm feed. It's less about who you're following and it's who the platform, who the algorithm is is recommending that piece of content. It's putting, I think uh, the the creators are actually having to do more work now in this environment, right? Because it, it's less about who you follow and it's more about you know uh, content that the general audience uh, uh, population is, is interested in because that's that's what the algorithm is serving if this content is trending that's what's going to show up in your feed now and in, in a real format or in a tiktok format youtube seems to be the one platform that is 
unique uh, for creators, right? The, the, it seems like it gives them a lot more control on how they monetize. It does seem to be um, more oriented to to your feed, like the people that you're following and subscribe to. Those show up, you know, kind of at the top above uh, an algorithm. But who, who knows how this is going to play out? You know, but but it used to be only thing that would show up in your feed is who is from who you're following, and so creators could put out you know, weak content and would still get exposure. Now with the algorithms taking over, your content has to be really good uh, to get ex- exposure. And so who wins at the end of the day? I guess consumers get more of the content that they're after, but it's it's, it's harder for creators, I think, to, um, you know, to kind of you know, keep producing content that rises to the top. I don't know. I, I guess we'll see how that, how that plays out. But, but I think your point though is that uh, video, for example, is, is the trending format. All right, Brad, we've been chatting for a while. You know, I feel like I can chat with you all day, uh, but we're getting near the end here. I thought we could move to a lightning round segment. So real quick, just first thing that comes to mind off the top of your head, you don't have to elaborate much, but I'm just going to give you a um, uh, just kind of a list of questions here to respond to here quickly. You Love ready it. for this? Let's do it, Dave. Let's all do right. it. All right, here we go. What would you say is the number one benefit of working with influencers? Word of mouth marketing at scale. All right, next question. What would you say is the most common mistake that influencers or brands make when they're forming a partnership? The, the most re- repeated big mistake I see is actually a really funny one where CMOs or CEOs will have their kids be really into a particular creator and say, you have to work with this. So and it's not grounded in anything besides one of the leader's kids thinks uh, this, uh, this individual creator is uh, the bee's knees. So. Let's talk about the, the cost of doing business. Uh, what should brands be paying creators? Really tough to do in a lightning round because there is so much variability, right? Like It depends on the platform. It also depends on the vertical that you're working in. So for instance, beauty creators are going to be much more expensive than car in, uh, influencers in general. But on YouTube for an integration, brands are going to be looking at a neighborhood of a $50 CPM. Definitely can do it for less. There's a lot of creators who are more from a TikTok perspective, we also measure things from a, a CPM perspective. TikTok creators are less expensive than, than YouTube. You know, it can be as low as $5. I would expect it to be more in the range of like 10 to $50 CPM for, for TikToks. Instagram stories uh, and reels are really priced pretty similarly. Really when we're looking at you know static posts on Instagram, it's more around cost per engagement as opposed to, to, to views or, or, or impressions. Um, so that tends to be roughly you know a quarter per, per engagement in terms of what the creators have historically been been averaging. So those are some of the some of the costs. There's a lot more nuance to it, but that at least you know give your listeners a decent benchmark and at least be in the ballpark of pricing. Okay, what's the main reason a brand should use an agency like the Outloud Group, for example, for influencer marketing? An agency partner like us is gonna be able to give you the right strategic guidance to help to make sure you're doing the right things an influencer to achieve your objectives. And then the second thing, um, what I would say is that like we have tremendous data that we can use in terms of which creators have been effective for brands over over a number of years. Final question. We focused a lot on brands and creators for a lot of this episode, but if someone's looking for a job, looking to work at an influencer marketing agency, let's say, what skills do you look for? Uh, and 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 you know, what do you what skills do you recommend anyone in our audience recommend 
honing essentially to to you know work in this industry. First, someone's got to be willing to figure it out because rules are constantly changing on platforms. What works is constantly changing for for brands. And so you've got to have this just mentality of we can figure it out and we will fi- will figure it out. So I think that's really Im- important. But at the end of the day, kind of like we talked about at the beginning, maybe to bring it full circle, Dave, I mean, people from all different backgrounds and perspectives can be successful, you know, in, in this space. And if there's a if there's a passion and a willingness to to learn and grow, then you've, you've got a seat at the table when it comes to the influencer marketing uh, landscape. Thanks, Brad. That was great. A lot of helpful information in this discussion today. So that's it for today's episode of the Partnership Economy. Brad, thank you again for joining the show. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the Partnership Economy podcast. It was fascinating to hear about the latest trends in the creator economy and all the ways in which influencer marketing has expanded. As Brad pointed out, working with influencers is not just about asking them to post a quick reel or an Instagram story. These days, influencer content can be used across many marketing channels, including email and paid advertising. Brands need to pay attention to the ways in which they could be underutilizing influencer marketing and really analyze their business goals. Working with creators is not about ticking a box. It's about nailing down what exactly you want to drive, whether that's awareness or conversions, and working with influencers with matching historical data. Finally, it was great to dive deeper into the psychology behind influencer marketing, as this really highlights what leads to a successful partnership. As Brad put it, influencers allow their audience to discover their identity and relate to a niche or a community. The further we stray from authenticity, the less likely we are to form a strong partnership. Whether that's brands working with influencers who just aren't passionate about their products and don't know how to use them, or creators who say yes to every deal. This was a fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And thank you, Brad, for joining us on The Partnership Economy. And as always, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to The Partnership Economy, brought to you by Impact.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show and rate and review it on Apple Podcasts.